He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Out of the Day with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. about being here this morning. Uh, I've been sick, man, I tell you. It's been a rough several weeks for me, and uh, I'm, I'm just glad I've been struggling bronchitis, man, and it was no joke, but I'm here, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We're promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and it is our goal, our responsibility. We have the audacity to empower you, the listeners, to knowing, being, doing, and impacting the world around you. And as always, we invite you to and welcome you to join us on this illuminating journey. 
And there's some ways you can do that. The primary way, if you want to, you can call that number. Is the number to get on the air, get your thoughts, insights, opinions on the air is 347-237-5230. That's the number you can call if you want to. Uh, the chat room, <coughs> excuse me, chat room is open. So you want to get in on the chat room, we invite you to do that, share your thoughts there. Send us an email, pastlorenzoneal at gmail.com. Vote visit the, the show page uh, at Zira. Uh, today, uh, Blog Talk Radio, subscribe to it, like it. Go to the uh, Facebook page, like that page, get updates, and visit my website, LorenzoTNeal.com. And any other way we can get there, we are there. We want you there with us, and we thank you for joining us in this new year. It's Black History Month. It's Love Month. <laughs> it's Black History Month. It's, it's uh, Valentine's Love, uh, President's. You know, you name it, it's here. So we're going to talk about that significance of this month. I, I, you know, I guess it's significant for a lot of people. But we're going to talk about black history. Uh, we're going to kick it off that way. And a couple other things we're going to get into before we get into that. Uh, so just bear with us and, and pray for us. And let's do that now. Let's go to prayer. God, we thank you for today. We praise you for your grace and mercy, allowing us to have another opportunity to uh, have this show. Pray that you would. Be with us and stand by us. Go with us. Let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. We ask in your name. Amen. Well, it's February, and I'm sure some of you watched the Super Bowl. I did not. I wasn't caring for it. <laughs> um, and there, there are several. There's, there's a couple of things that, that kind of disturbed me coming out of the Super Bowl. First was uh, there was a there was a commercial run by Coca-Cola and it was a multicultural commercial where they were singing um God bless America I want to make sure that was right yeah God bless America and they sang it in English and a couple of other languages I think one was Spanish one was uh Arabic uh can't think of the other one but I think it was those two I know those two and of course they 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 had the the various persons of different ethnic groups represented throughout the commercial. And following the airing of that commercial, there were a lot of people on so many pages that I saw on in Twitter, Facebook, uh you name it, it was there. There were a lot of people who were so offended at that commercial. They were offended and here's what they were offended by. They said that this is America, and if you're going to sing the national anthem, you should sing it in English. That was the that was the primary uh, art, you know, consensus. Now, first of all, first problem I had was one: it was not the national anthem. <laughs> uh, I, I was surprised how many people I was reading in Twitter feeds that were saying, uh, you know, you would if this was Germany and, and doing Hitler, they wouldn't be singing their national anthem. Uh, in English, they'd be singing in the German. And I was like, oh boy, show their ignorance right there. The second, the second issue that I had, and I'm sure, I, and I, uh, matter of fact, I'm on the side of 99% of the people who watch this ad and support it, that America has always been, since its inception, a diverse country. By inception, I'm talking about when they not when they won declared independence. I'm just, I'm talking about uh, 
I'm talking about when they put in effect the Constitution of the United States in 1789. They declared independence from 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 uh, England in 1776. They did not win that in independence in 1776. And even then, even then, for those of those people who were just you know they're so patriotic and American only, even then we could not have won that war without the help of the French. Yeah, some Native Americans. We could not have we we could not have gotten our freedom if it was not for the French who wanted to see us beat England because they were they had the French English War and they you know they just wanted to get rub it in the face of England so they came to the aid of the states thanks to uh, largely in part to Ben Franklin who was the ambassador to France and and England too but you know but mostly the France anyway. So to those who are so strictly patriotic, uh, they fail to recognize the fact that this has always been a land of of multi-ethnic groups. You had the Germans, the Dutch. <laughs> I mean, think about it for a second. I mean, New York, that whole New York was founded by the Dutch. <laughs> they didn't speak English. It was New York, New Amsterdam, and all that stuff, you know. Come on now, really. Really though, heck, the Puritans wouldn't have survived without the Native Americans who were already here, and they didn't speak English. <laughs> my my point is, you know, and, and for those who are, you know, I I understand patriotic notions and whatnot. I understand because being conservative, I'm conservative. I understand all of that, but uh, some of y'all just crazy. Some of those folks were just crazy, spewing. Rhetoric that didn't even make sense, that was hateful and divisive, very divisive, and was not reflective of the national motto of the United States. That's on your dollar bill, e pluribus unum, in many, one, from many, one. So the whole point of the, you know, of the founding of the country was to appreciate and value the diversity of the country. And I... I I, I could go on about that, but hey, it is what it is. Some folk just just don't understand. Everybody is an American, and I guarantee you, more naturalized citizens. Uh, I, I guarantee you, the naturalized citizens, those who come in by way of legal immigration, who come into the country, take the exams, take the classes to become naturalized citizens, know more about this country. And the people who were born here raising all kind of hell about not speaking English. All right, <laughs> I didn't say it enough, but that was that was that was troubling. And the other thing that was kind of troubling to me is the fact that uh, uh, not as many people celebrated uh, the win of the young man Wilson from uh, the, the quarterback for Seattle Seahawks. And I learned that there's a connection to the state of Mississippi here. Uh, his grandfather was an educator, uh, college president, and basketball coach here at what was na- what was then named Jackson College, what is now Jackson State University in Mississippi. So a lot of the people here in Mississippi were rallying for this young man um, to win. Now, of course, you know, Peyton Manning, of course, he has the Mississippi connection. 
and he and his brother, his father, they you know his brother went to school here. They they went to school here in Mississippi, and um, of course you know they have connections Louisiana too. You know with his dad playing for the New Orleans Saints, and the, they grew up in New Orleans. But you know the fanfare was just not there as much as it was for that young man. We commemorate, we commend him for being only the second black uh, quarterback to win. And uh, I put a link on my page, on my Facebook page. Um, about top 10 uh, NFL quarterbacks, with number one being Warren Moon. You had uh, Donovan McNabb on there, uh, the late, great Steve McNair, um, and so many. Doug Williams, uh, who, you know, I've had the privilege of meeting several times. Doug Williams and so many others I could I could go on and, and talk about. And, of course, the infamous Mike Vick. Michael Vick is uh, on that list. Uh, none of them won except for Doug Williams won Super Bowl, uh, but they're all fantastic players in the game. So that's my take on blacks in sports. <laughs> about all I know. About all I know. Every, as I segue here, as a more somber note. Um, today would be the 19th birthday of Trevon Martin. And, you know, I was reflecting on on that and my uh, it's, it's a sad event that happened to him and you know it's almost two years uh, a couple of weeks will make two years since that fatal encounter between him and George Zimmerman and uh, you know we, we we don't want to let incidents like that slide but we also want to remember that our people are perishing not so much by the hand of people others you know, of white people, but more by from ourselves. And I think Trayvon Martin is a wonderful uh, symbol. And he should be a symbol of what we can do to be more proactive and engaged to empower our young, young people and our old people to, to value life, to value life altogether, not to take a life. And uh, we just had an incident in my hometown where, uh, 18-year-old boy was killed, and uh, um, it was ruled an accident. But now we, it's been determined that it was murder. You know, and two black boys, kids grew up best friends, and his best friend has now been accused of murdering his, you know, murdering the young man. So things like that, we have to teach them the value of life, not the value of twerking. I I, I noticed that you know during the Beyonce performance at the Grammys, and, and a lot of people were talking about that, and uh, you, you know. And the MLK twerk fest thing, uh, we just got to do better. We, we, we really do. And the, Trayvon Martin was a symbol that promoted so much last year leading up to the trial for George Zimmerman. And speaking of George Zimmerman, uh, he was a great symbol leading up to that. And once the trial was over, that symbology waned. And I think we need to resurrect that symbol of Trayvon Martin, not to invoke hate toward another race but it invoke a passion for the value of our life the life of young black boys young black girls not only in the major cities of baltimore newark chicago oakland or new orleans but everywhere so so today we commemorate and uh recognize uh the birthday of trevon martin so take a moment just to have a moment in silence for him 
this morning. I see my phone is ringing. Usually I don't get a phone call anytime, so yeah. Hold on here. All right. <laughs> okay. I got thrown off track by that guys. But uh well before I get off this before I get off this Trayvon Martin thing, you guys if you have been following the news, you would know that uh Zimmerman uh, the dude is I don't know what's wrong with him, but you know, he's been in he's the only one that's been in the news since his trial for various reasons. You know, divorce and uh, uh abusing his girlfriend, supposedly rescuing uh uh a family from a car wreck. But now he's back in the news for a boxing match. Him it's official. He and DMX, Earl Simmons, DMX, Dark Man X himself, the rapper, uh, that know they don't know who we be. He and George Zimmerman will be boxing it out, and I, I, I don't know the purpose of it, but <laughs> oh well, I, I just find it hilarious that that is going to be happening. So we'll see what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and as we come back from the break, we're going to get, we'll be discussing black history. We'll be discussing the myths, legends, and all these things that, um, uh, how much we've actually com- contributed to the world, and not just to the states, you know, to the U.S. You know, it's been limited to that, to that. But we're going to talk about our, our, our contributions globally, uh, historically, and not just, you know, not just for a sparse 28 days so uh we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back from this break we will um we'll be talking about that we'll be talking about black history and and how we people should be be right back after this Is it better to be more reliable or less reliable? If they can count on you, you can play. But if you can't, you're on a bench. Bench warm is what my dad says. Oh, does your dad play football? No, but he watches it on the couch. Oh, so he's a couch warmer. I thought it was funny. It's not complicated. More reliable is better. And AT&T is the nation's fastest and now most reliable 4G LTE network. commitment to the Gulf, BP had two big goals. Help the Gulf recover and learn from what happened so we could be a better, safer energy company. I've been with BP for 24 years. I was part of the team that helped deliver on our commitments to the Gulf, and I can tell you, safety is at the heart of everything we do. We've added cutting-edge safety equipment and technology, like a new deep water well cap and a state-of-the-art monitoring center where experts watch over all our drilling activity 24-7. And we're sharing what we've learned so we can all produce energy more safely. Safety is a vital part of BP's commitment to America and to the nearly 250,000 people who work with us here. We invest more in the U.S. than anywhere else in the world. Over $55 billion here in the last five years, making BP America's largest energy investor. Our commitment has never been stronger.
Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development. With world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University, changing lives one student at a time. You know, Valentine's Day is literally right around the corner. And, you know, it's, it's last minute. You need to get something for your special someone for Valentine's Day. And let me recommend that you go to Sherry's Berries and get your special one something good. Right now they have a very good special going on for limited time only. 20% off our Valent- their Valentine's Day connection. Uh, you can get uh, 12 dipped, hand-dipped, Sweet strawberries. I, I like that part. Get all that kind of stuff. You know, it is so much more that you can get. You can get flowers to go with them, a dozen red roses to go with some fancy dipped uh, gourmet squir- strawberries. You can get cookies and go with them. You can get a cake. You can go with them. You can get chocolate dipped strawberries. Well, cherries. <laughs> you can get whatever you want at Sherry's Berries, and like I said, right now they have a very special sale going on. If you go to their website at berries.com, www.berries.com, and you put in, the uh, click on the microphone, put in zero today, or use the code word, code word swoon, S-W-O-O-N, you will get 20% off your Valentine's Day order, and you need to do it soon. I mean, it is coming quick, fast, in a hurry. So you need to contact Sherry's Berries right now. And you can do it, again, go to www.berries.com or call them, 877-BERRIES. And like I said, tell them you got it here on Zero Today. That's berries.com. I need you. I feel so alone. But you're not alone. I knew you'd come. Like I could stay away. You know I can't do this without you. You'll never have to. You're always there for me. I'll get you a rental car. Don't use an umbrella. Fall in love with Progressive Claim Service. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. And welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and we are here, and I'm excited about being here. So let me slow my roll just a little bit. <laughs> I had a sip of coffee. Man, I tell you, I just got hyped all of a sudden. I don't know why. But um, so we're going to be discussing black history. And there's, I tell you, uh, for the nearly 80 years that this celebration has gone on, um, uh, almost uh, yeah, eighty years, give or take. 
I may be wrong. I think it started in 29 by Carter G. Woodson. Um, but for all this time, the whole por- purpose that uh, Dr. Woodson started this was to empower a people who were oppressed and thought that they had no significant contribution to uh, the United States of America. And uh, it, 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 it empowered them. It, it, it helped them be more aware. You got to understand, this is during the time Garvey, Marcus Garvey is empowering people to, you know, with the Back to Africa movement and all kinds of things going on. This is the time that um, the black Muslims were really form, forming with uh, W. Ford, and he was getting this identity of black nationalism. And all kinds of things was happening, and, and, and people, the black people needed an identity, a collective identity, and this was a means of helping them get that collective identity. Uh, uh, for many, the collective identity was that of being a sharecropper, you know, or the son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter of a slave actually living on master's plantation instead of being, you know, Working for free, they're now working working the same plantation for little to nothing. You know, they had housing and stuff like that. But and then you had those. That's in the south, and in the north, you had you know those areas where uh, now we call it ghetto. But the the bulk of African diaspora were there. And they were making a good name for themselves. Think about Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the 1920s, where you had the black what was considered the Black Wall Street, you know, you know, businesses and all kinds of all kinds of things were happening there. And you think about all the other countries, in, in uh, particularly in Atlanta, uh, uh, where you had thriving Black industries. You think about um, the colleges and the universities that were formed. You know, some formed at land grant institutions such as my alma mater, which is now the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, that was founded. That was not founded as a. It was founded as an as a uh, land grant institution. Uh, Corbin School, Watson, uh, uh, John John Watson, uh, Corbin, those guys who were uh, prominent educators in Arkansas uh, helped develop that school. And many others, you know, Arkansas Baptist and, and Dillard University in New Orleans, Xavier in New Orleans. Uh, so many, the list can go on. Howard University, Hampton, what is now Hampton University, uh, but Hampton College in, uh, in Virginia. Those, those schools, and so many like them, were founded by blacks who understood that collectively we needed to be educated and have an identity, a shared identity. If we don't have a shared history, we need to have a shared identity so that we can be empowered as a people. And I think about here in Mississippi, you have uh, one of the most prominent African-American boarding schools that's, you know, been thriving in the country, <laughs> producing some great leaders and great people. One of my dear friends, uh, is a graduate of the school, and she works as an archaeologist. She's a black female working as an archaeologist and graduated from Piney Woods School here in, in, in outside of Jackson, Mississippi. So, you know, things like that, that collective binding that started and, and you know, brought about, uh, uh, that was brought about when we began to recognize that we had a history 
and I I commend I commend uh, the, uh, Dr. Woodson and others who continue to help perpetuate this idea of a Black history. And what started off as Black History Week has become Black History Month. And although it is only 28 days long, during a period of 28 days, uh, it, it, at least when I was growing up, it, it was a means of reinforcing an identity that was trying to be lost. Because we, it is, in a way, being lost now because we are in the age of uh, age of uh, 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 multiculturalism diversity and all kinds of things and everything is racist yeah i've been called racist because i you know i i said something against president obama i'm a racist or you you know these stuff like that uh and white folk got it bad because they can't say anything about black folk without being it considered racist so uh, so i i digress on that but anyway, there, there's some questions that I want to ponder. I want uh, you, the listener, and I've been pondering um, that that I, I like you to ponder more. First of, you know, how have we changed as a black people collectively? And uh, I, I I dare use the word uh, individually. By individually, I, I, maybe it should be regionally, I guess, because you, you know you. In pockets, we have some similarities, but it ain't all. It ain't all there. Um, also, question I'd like to ask is, uh, um, whoa, what is our connection as an African diaspora in the West now within the global community? What what I mean by that is, we know we came from Africa, we know that. But now, what is the connection as, as Africa is no longer becoming uh, is no longer uh, is becoming out of third world status? There are still places in uh, across the continent that are still you know underdeveloped. There are a lot of places in Africa, particularly on the west coast. Uh, and and, and in Ivory Coast where there is a great 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 this uh, establishment you know where once the Europeans pulled out and left left those countries uh, in their own hands you you begin to see the demise of some of them mostly because of infighting between their own race uh, their own people and they try to define it as different ethnic groups, but you had blacks on blacks, and yeah, they were socially different. Uh, but uh, I, I guess not necessarily altogether culturally different. But anyway, uh, what so what 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 is our connection now? As China becomes more developed, as the East, you know, the Indo-Asian community becomes more developed. They are the fastest developing region of the world. What is our connection, particularly those of us in the West, in in England, and more particularly here in the States? You know, what's what's our connection? So I I just those are the things I want to ponder. 
But let's put it in perspective. Let, let's put this in perspective here. Here in the states, in the states, blacks make up 13, 14 percent, 12 to 14 percent of the population. Depends on depends on who you talk to, where you get your stats from. Where the 12 percent, or where as big as 14 to 15 percent. All right, of the population in the United States. No, now if they um, from certain uh, statistics you read, we as a collective group. While we only represent such a fraction, a small fraction of the overall population of the states, we represent collectively, we have a gross domestic product. That, that means what we spend out uh, as well as what we take in. We have, uh, we have a gross domestic product of roughly $2 trillion dollars. That's a lot. Matter of fact, that's more than some European, some uh, established European country. If we were a country, as a black folk, if we had in the states, if we had our own country, right now, we'd be ranked tenth in the world. Can you believe that? I mean, we would literally, we would literally, be one of the wealthiest countries in the global economy. But the problem is, you know, we're disconnected. With this. There is no connection, direct connection between what we are as a people, uh, you know, people of color, black, whatever you want to call African American, Negro, whatever you want to call yourself. We we had a disconnect, and and, and to think about, uh, we don't have the influence that should come with that type of power economic power we don't have that influence you know what's funny is we have more influence uh post-civil rights i mean post-civil war during the reconstruction period we had more influence then than we do actually we actually probably had more influence before the civil war and during the civil war and reconstruction that we did post-reconstruction up until the beginning of the civil rights or the ending of the civil rights movement. Now, since the ending of the civil rights movement in the 70s, and I do say the 70s, even though people want, I mean, full integration really didn't begin to, in some places, as late as the 80s. For some place, in some places, there are still about 25 school districts in Louisiana, I know, that have not followed through with the desegregation, you know, law mandate of, uh, of, uh, of 1954, uh, I think that's right, uh, Brown versus Topeka Board of Education. Anyway, what what does that mean for us? Um, that's what I want to know. What, is, what does that mean for us? We don't have – our influence does not reflect what we have economically. And it's so bad that, you know, politically we're just – Basically, we only considered mouthpieces of puppets for both political parties. And you think about it, you know, on the Republican side or the conservative side, any black conservative like myself, you know, we are <laughs> boy, you know, we're we're everything but a child of God. How could it? How could it? Such a a beast exist? But we do, and most are really conservative, particularly on social issues, although we are becoming a little bit more moderate and, you know, progressive, 
it is a long time coming because we're starched in the church. And those our, our religious views affect our social views and the political views largely. But for Democrats, you know, they they are almost guaranteed 95% of our vote every time. But like I said, you know, while we they get our vote, our influence within both parties is is almost null and void, you know, is, doesn't exist almost. But uh, I digress. So I'm gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna we talk a little bit about more a little bit more uh, about uh, Black history and and why why what's really important about it, you know, uh, uh, guys like George G M James, Anthony Browder. Um, let me think of some uh, uh, McWhorter uh, from uh, who, uh, James. I think McWhorter, Cecil James, and Cecil Cone. Oh, I could go on and on about these guys, these authors who uh, have contributed to uh, a wealth of knowledge that can empower Black people, uh, have empowered Black people, and are empowering Black people. You know, want to talk a little bit about that when we come back from the break. Uh, because I think, uh, well, I know it's powerful things that a lot of people just miss out on, and I wish that they did miss out on, and wish that they uh, didn't neglect so much, because uh, we got a rich history, a very, very rich history. So, but uh, we're going to take a break, and um, when we come back from this break, what we'll be discussing is. Uh, where we are, where we are, be right back. We make you smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Talk to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. I wasn't born to push papers. I was born to push myself. To go where I'm needed. To keep this country safe. I was born with the backbone and brain power to take on any mission. This is my office. I was born ready. GoCoastGuard.com What's something that's slow that you wish was fast? Turtle. Really? A turtle? Yeah. And what about you? I'd rather be a slow turtle. Well, mmm. I know why. Because when you're slower, you won't have to get in the street as fast and get ran over. But if you're a slow turtle and you're in the middle of the street, what happens? Austin? Exactly. It's not complicated. Faster is better. And AT&T is the nation's fastest 4G LTE network. 
at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. I'm part of a place where I'm always challenged to do more. I am a part of a place where I can be involved. I'm a part of a place where everything is possible. I'm part of a place where champions are made. At the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, you can get an affordable education with competitive degree offerings, diverse student population, and stellar faculty. Become part of a place where you can get everything you need to succeed. Become a part of the pride at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. can push muddy water around. Swiffer WetJet's new upgraded solution helps prevent streaks and residue to reveal more shine than a mop or your money back. You're Swiffer Snapper. Welcome back to Zero Today again. Pastor Lorenzo Neal here. We're glad that you joined us. We're on the bottom of the hour, and, uh, you know, we're talking about black history. And before the break, we, we were, were discussing where we are as a people in the states uh, at this present moment, how we're, what our value is economically. And, you know, to see that we're not up to where our value is says a lot. Well, you know, it says a lot. And I could give you a lot of his, you know, a lot of statistics, but statistics don't mean a hill of beans sometimes. Uh, uh, if there's not, they're not applicable. You know, if they're not applied, if they're not made to be real, and and that's part of the problem that we're having with black people, collectively, where when you know we're not getting there. But anyway, I digress. I I wanted, you know, I wanted to bring out the fact that. Uh, in these first 28 days that we observe, observe black history, uh, you know, we're given a bunch of figures and uh, we're taught the legends, you know, some, you know, we're taught the stories behind, you know, and there, there are a number of firsts that happened in the 20th century for blacks, a number of firsts. And I, I wish I could go through all of the firsts just from the 20th century. But, you know, we got forget. We forget that we were here in the Americas before the 20th century. We were doing things as a people before the 20th century, as early as the 16th century, the 17th century, the 18th century, and the 19th century. We as a people, individuals and collective, were doing things uh, now, now here, here's the thing. You know, we know we came from West Africa, slave ships, uh, uh, with the bulk of us coming, of our ancestry coming during the 19th century, the late 17th, late 18th, and uh, early 19th century. Uh, 
where they were eagerly engaging in the slave trade. Europe, uh, England particularly. Uh, I think Spanish, Spanish got out of it and the French got out of it pretty early. But the, the British were still engaged in it. And they were still going to West Africa and getting slaves. Now, the Spanish are the ones who got us involved. You know, they, they were the ones who kicked it off. Oh, no, I lied. Not the Spanish, Portuguese in the, the 1500s. So the, the latter part of the, of the 16th century, you know, we were brought to the Americas. So, but, but while we were here, we were doing things. Here, and this is what most people forget. When we were initially brought over to the Americas, particular uh, after the country was settled by the Puritans in, in North America, I can't speak from South America. Uh, you know, there was colonization there, and there's still blacks. You know, you have your black uh, Brazilians, you have your black Colombians, your uh, all. You know, there there are pockets of uh, blacks in those areas, but in the northern part of the country. Uh, North America, uh, when the blacks were coming, after it had been settled by the English Puritans, uh, we weren't slaves. We weren't brought here as you know, slaves. We were brought as indentured servants with a guarantee of freedom after a you know, particular period of time. And most black folk don't realize, and they will probably argue me down for saying this, but the first person to legally own a slave was a black person. Fussed at me at one time. Don't all cuss me out at one time. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it is a fact. This is a fact historically. The first person to legally own another individual in the state, in the United States, uh, at that time, in the continental colonies, you know, not even the colonies, but you know, in this in this country, in North America, put it that way, that now is the United States. Uh, the first person to own another individual, not as an indentured servant, was a black man. His name happens to be Anthony Johnson. Anthony Johnson was brought to the states, brought to the country, like most people was. You know, brought as an indentured servant uh, from Africa, brought to work, and upon being, getting his freedom, he became, you know, he became his own farmer. He became wealthy, landowner. He himself had indentured servants, and one of his indentured servants, when it came time for his time to be up, um, When it came time for that, he 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 um he fought against it. Uh, I can't think of the guy's name. Uh, let me try to look it up real quick. Oh well, yeah, Kaser. There it is. Uh, Kaser was his indentured servant. So Kaser ended up leaving Johnson to go work for a white guy, a white farm owner, landowner, and Johnson sued. To get him back, saying that that was his property, saying that that he he went to the he went to he sued, and he said that um, that he was his indefinitely, 
He said that he should be able to hold him as his servant as long as he wanted to. And it went before what was then um, a British court, and he won. So the first person to win, to own a slave, a person that owned someone for their life, the term of their life, was a black man. Now, here's the thing of that. Now, uh, before before you get too upset, whites couldn't own slaves. They were not legally able to own slaves till the latter part of the uh, 17th century, so the late 1600s, somewhere in there, uh, 1670, 1680, somewhere in there. They were all, that was when they were legally able to own slaves. Uh, but prior to that, this man owned his slave. He owned another individual for the indeterminate, you know, indeterminate period, which was basically the rest of his life. We put ourselves in slavery. We know that we sold ourselves. You know, we know that there were warring tribes uh, on the western coast of Africa who, you know, for like like Judas, thirty pieces of silver, sold their captive, their uh, war captives into slavery for guns and you know, money and, you know, whatever it was that they did it for. Uh, but that's, what that you know, that's how the slave trade became really prominent, you know. We were fighting, and when we won, we, you know, and that, it's not like that is nothing new. There's nothing new. You go all the way back to biblical times that was there. You know, that was happening. So that was not like that was a new thing. What what makes the slavery condition and that, what makes that unique is the fact that uh, these people were shipped to foreign lands, forced to work, and they became indigenous peoples now to in the West, particularly in the Caribbean. You know, we we forget. You know, we see the blacks down there in Haiti, Dominican Republic, uh, and Jamaica, and all of these other places there in the Eastern and Western Caribbean, and we forget that they got here the same way we got here. Their cultures are slightly different from ours, but it's not much different. Not much. Not much different. But it is different. But let, let me, let me, you know, I, I think about authors like uh, Rudolf Windsor. If you're not familiar with him, you ought to get his book from uh, Babylon to Timbuktu. And he talks about the history of blacks and the black Jews and you know, going all the way back to Genesis and uh uh, connecting various tribes that's mentioned in the book of Genesis with people of African descent, you know, with, uh, with Africans, with blacks. And uh, particularly, uh, now, he has this slant with the, with the black Jews, and, and um, he really, really goes on, you know, goes in detail about that. I think he has an entire chapter about the black Hebrews, black ra- ancient black races, including the black Hebrews and things of that nature. But you, that's one book you look at. Another one, uh, another author, George G.M. James. Now, George G.M. James, I have a connection with him because he was an instructor at my alma mater in the 50s. And he was a business professor, but he he uh, you know, graduated from an Ivy League school. I want to say it was Columbia in New York. 
and he was teacher in Latin, Greek. He could do all of that. He was a skilled mathematician, and this is what set him apart. He was a skilled mathematician, and he tapped into something that uh, was hidden. The fact that, and this is what his book, his book Stolen Legacy, deals with this: that uh, the Greeks borrowed all of their knowledge from the ancient Egyptians. And we know that now. Even even the rhetoric and the the uh, the, the teachings of Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, those guys were, you know, they they got that insight from ancient writings, uh, both Semitic, non Semitic, ancient African writings. Egyptian, uh Kushite, those that you know really gets deep and he he go and he's like uh we this entire western civilization is built off the uh credibility of the greek culture and the greek democracy and greek wisdom and greek insight and and yeah the greeks did some wonderful things for the west and and, and you know uh after the demise and fall of the roman empire it set the, the western culture back a thousand years literally we're, we're just rediscovering things that they were doing prior to that that they were doing in Egypt, they were doing in ancient Ethiopia, stuff that they were doing, you know, cures, uh, you know, herbal uses and stuff like that. They were doing language, uh, secret language, <laughs> if we want to get really deep about it. Understanding greater mathematical principles, that's how they got the, you know, that's how they got the pyramids built. That's how they got uh, the established societies. Because they have that, and, and we have diminished that as black. We, you know, we we have not even begun to scratch the surface of our internal collective potential as a people. What they did in Africa thousands of years ago as a collective uh, African continent, and although although separate by countries. Collectively, they were they they tapped into things that we cannot even begin to to tap into. That if we did tap into as a contemporary African culture, uh, diaspora culture here in the states, man, would be phenomenal. The ancient wisdom, uh, even Zarathustra borrowed from them, uh, uh, from them, and, and and he came up with some great. You know, we talk about the Magi, uh, these guys. They they followed him, and you know, he got his ancient insight wisdom from those cultures of African and deep African wisdom. Think about the artistic uh, influence in uh, Morocco and Spain, in southern Spain and places like that, from the Moors, but the art and the Arabs really, 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 really got it from the Moors and and uh, the other traveling bodies uh, from the from Africa, Northern Africa, Central Africa, things of that nature. Um, and Western Africa is the Eastern, Northeastern Africa, and Western Africa is like two different worlds, but again, collectively, when you think about the Yoruba tribe and all these kinds of the groups and, and uh, um, tribe, ancient tribes in Africa, they were so creative, and we're re- just now rediscovering what they knew, what they were doing. And I, I just wish we could get back to that. But I said all of that because I want us to realize that, you know, there's more to our history than what is being presented 
before in tw- in 28 days. 28 days, they're going to talk about, they may talk about, um, of course, they're going to talk about Martin Luther King. They may talk about Arthur Ashe. They may talk about um, who else? Who are some other ones? Um, Thurgood Marshall. They may talk about others. They may they may even mention Benjamin Banneker, uh, Phyllis Wheatley. Those were those were guys, individuals who before this country was formed was there. And let us not forget uh, the the founder of our my my Zion communion, Richard Allen, who became a free man and established what has become the most prominent African American uh, religious institute of the day, of its time, and, and I'm I'm very much proud to be a part of. It. And those others who followed in footsteps like um, um, Daniel Payne, uh, Henry McNeil Turner. Who Henry McNeil Turner? I honor him quite a bit for he was one of the most radical preachers of his time. Not only was he a bishop in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, but he also served as a legislator. He was a politician. He understood after during Reconstruction what was necessary, and he didn't hold back his tongue. And I'm proud to be affiliated and associated with him through by way of African Methodism, by way of being affiliated with. I just I'm I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of it. And I I could go on and on. I uh I wish I could get the votes a little bit more of my personal history. And some of my people that I admire who were first in the 20th century. And we could go on I I you know that that that's wonderful, but it goes further than that. It goes deeper than that. And we cannot afford to just waste 28 days and say that, okay, this is enough, and who you don't learn about, wait till next year. No, this has to be an ongoing ongoing thing throughout the year. Uh, young people especially, and as, as I said earlier in the broadcast, they need to learn the value of life. And one of the ways of learning the value of life is learning to appreciate not only their contemporary history, which is the 20th century, which is really just the only thing that's going to be taught to them, but their extended ancient history, learning that, that they came from great, great people. And, and even appreciate the diversity because we're now, uh, you know, we have more biracial children now than ever before. And we still need to find a way to integrate that into our collective history. And I think when we do that, we'll find a way of being becoming one of the most powerful, relevant people that we once were. So, well, my time is up, and I'm glad I had this few moments to share with you just my little take on black history. And I, um, we'll be back next week, and we may talk for some li- a little bit more, but uh, we may not. But till then, this is Pastor Lorenzo Neal just saying thank you for listening. Tune in every week. And, again, like the page. Go to the show, uh, catch any archive show. Any archive show, just follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us, follow us, follow us, like the show, tell everybody about the show. Until next week, this is Pastor Rizzo Neal, and we're out. God bless you.